welcome back to the most recent update for Fellowship Bentonville. We are here at probably the most exciting uh, part of opening Fellowship Bentonville, which you have all been asking about. Hey, what is the plan for parking? And uh, we are, we're excited to, to tell you. Ain't that right, Bart? Am I allowed to speak in these yeah. videos? Yes, you can okay. talk. Yeah, yeah, I'm not Bart. That's right. That's right. Hunter. And so, uh, Bart, what do you say me and you show them? approach the campus, you will see three drives connecting the campus to McCollum. At each drive, there will be a friendly, helpful officer to direct you. The first drive you come to is an exit only. Please do not try to enter there. The second drive is the entrance for those who need to drop off or park in our accessibility parking areas. If you need to enter here, turn your blinker on and the officer will direct you in. To drop off, keep the left and pull into the drop-off area in front of the children's building. Once you have dropped off, carefully pull back into the drive. Unless you need accessibility parking, please pull to the end of the drop-off area to find a parking space. The accessibility parking is on the right. This is for handicapped parking and others who may need to park closer but don't have handicapped parking tags or hangers. All other traffic needs to proceed to the third drive. If you are going to the student center, use the first parking areas on the left. If you are going to the worship center or children's building, continue on and park further down. And remember, if you are able to walk longer distances or if you need the exercise, go ahead and park in the spots further away from the building. When you exit, Remember, all traffic exits through the drive that goes behind the building and out to McCollum. This will allow us to use the entrances for those arriving for the next service. If you are parked in spaces in front of the building, please exit by going north away from the building and turning west to follow the drive around the building to the exit. If you need to pick someone up, proceed to the drop-off area to pick them up, then exit by going to the end of the drop-off area and turn left to go to the exit. As you exit campus, you will be turning right onto McCollum. When you get to the intersection at Tiger, we recommend you turn right rather than going straight and turning onto Central. This will help us be good neighbors to the other churches on McCollum that will be exiting on that street and it will probably save you time and frustration as well. Well, Bart, it's parking time. Well, good morning, Fellowship. Hey, don't y'all worry, no brain cells were stretched or harmed in the making of that video. We're safe. Man, it is, it is our honor, and we are so excited to be with you here this morning. You know, we've been anticipating this service and prayerfully planning it for several weeks in hopes that every single person here would experience something significant in the presence of Jesus Christ. You know, He is here. He is why we gather. He is the author of a grace so extraordinary 
so amazing, a grace that came at great cost and a grace that is undeserved, but a grace that He freely gives to anyone that would place their trust and faith in Him. That's good news, don't you think? That's worthy of celebrating, don't you think? I think it's okay if we get excited about that, yeah? All right, well, let's stand and celebrate that together.
That's awesome. Way to begin the morning. Welcome, fellowship. It is so good to see each one of you here. You know, Derek, over the last couple weeks in the foyer, I've heard several people say that this is their first time back in a couple years. If that's you, welcome back. If you're visiting for the first time, we are so glad that you're with us. And if you're visiting here from spring break, no, you're always welcome here. And the QR code on the screen is how you find out about what's happening at Fellowship. And it also gives us a way to connect. But our favorite way is to connect with you in the foyer. And we get to see your faces and have a conversation and maybe even figure out how to have a cup of coffee. Well, after years and years of dreaming and praying and planting and praying some more. Fellowship Benville's opening its doors tonight for an open house. Woo! We're very excited. And we would love for you to come and join in celebrating with us on each door and each classroom and each small group room. There will be a prayer prompt. You could help us pray over the area and just celebrate with us. And then next Sunday, Bentonville family will be our first Sunday of services, and they will be at 9 and 10.30. Don't forget that. 9 and 10.30. Derek, tell us what's happening here at the Rogers campus. Yeah, so for Fellowship Rogers, it will be a time change. So next Sunday, April 3rd, the first service will be at, say it with me, 9 o'clock. Second service, 10.30. Okay, and also, April 3rd, mark your calendars, because I don't know if y'all knew this, but next Sunday is the National Bring Your Community Group to Church Sunday. I think it's don't in the calendar. Yeah. Don't know that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, in the calendar. I don't know if y'all are like Kip and I. Sometimes we go in the foyer. We've been at Fellowship a long time. We're kind of looking for friends. We're kind of playing that old game, where's Waldo? Where's our one friend, you know? And so sometimes we even sit by ourselves. And so, hey, here's an idea fellowship, how about you gather with your community group this week and discuss, hey, what service will we attend and where will we sit in that service? So you always know where your friends are going to be. So for example, our community group in Springdale is going to sit over here on the left about halfway back at the nine o'clock and then some of us at the 11 as well. So no ten, more, ten, where's no, no, Walden? Not 11, not What's 11, 10.30. Nine and 10.30. 10 yeah, yeah. Yes, Beth. I said that. I said, Okay. So, great way to reach your friends for Christ. Hey, another great way to reach your friends for Christ is by simply inviting them to church. Hey, would you like to come to church with me? Uh, so this is very dear to my heart, and I'm standing here today because a long time ago, when my mom was five, her little neighborhood friend invited her to church, a church called Grace. My mom went by herself with this other family for five months, and my grandfather said, the Holy Spirit woke me up one Sunday and said, I want you to get up and I want you to invite your entire family to church. So he gets up, asks their family, hey, where do you want to go to church? All the kids had already been going. They said, we want to go to Grace. So they go to Grace, hear the gospel for the first time in their lives. Got saved that Sunday, my grandmother and my grandfather, my mom a couple weeks afterwards. So, man, great way to be a missionary is to invite your neighbors where you live, also where you work, and also where, you're, where you play and have fun. So invite your neighbors to church this next Sunday. You can affect them eternally for their life. Hey, 
that is a great way also that we glorify Christ. So let's glorify him as we pray. Father, we love you. and We thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to, to plant this wonderful church in Bentonville, God. We pray your blessings there. We also pray, pray your blessings upon the church here in Rogers. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. you stand with us once again let's make this song our prayer that Christ would be magnified in our lives and in this place let's join with creation and see were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry then from north to south and east
moment of creation and sing all praise and honor and glory unto the Lamb. Let's sing all the earth will shout. things in life that compete for our praise and worship. But as a spiritual family, we just made a powerful statement. God, because you are so great, because you are so magnificent, we pour out our praise and worship to you only. In this place, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our relationships, may that be so. That we would be a people that pour out our praise to Him alone, because only He is worthy of. You know, praise and worship is a natural and right response to experiencing something of God. And Scripture teaches us that God reveals Himself to us in many ways through His Word, through the Holy Spirit, through other people, through circumstances, through creation. And true worship happens when we respond intentionally and appropriately from our heart to what God shows us of Himself. It's why we are so intentional to choose songs in our worship that remind us of who God is and what He has done. Songs that align our hearts with what he says about himself. It's why we take it very seriously to teach accurately from God's word. While we're committing 
committed to sharing stories of how Jesus is changing people's lives because we want everyone to know the authentic Christ, amen? And to know that he alone is worthy of worship. So in a moment, we're gonna sing a couple more songs. Songs that remind us of who Jesus is. In fact, one of them, the second one, one that our own fellowship worship team, people from our body wrote as an offering of praise to Jesus Christ. But as you prepare your heart to give what only you can give, your heart in worship, let the words of Psalm 100 inspire you. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving family and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. Let me say that again. For the Lord, he is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's worship you. I worship you. 
never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, baby.
Is that a great song or what? I love it. I love it. Thank you. You may have a seat. Hey, thanks to Fellowship Worship, Pat. Y'all are writing some great stuff, and I really appreciate it. Hey, open your Bibles this morning to the book of John. We are in week two of a 21-week study in this New Testament gospel narrative. Now, this series, which began last week, will carry us all the way through the spring, all the way through the summer, even into the first week of August. John is the fourth book of your New Testament. It is one of four gospel accounts that tell the story of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, John is the most unique of the gospels. Over 90% of the content found in the gospel of John is unique. It is different than what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which all include much of the same material. Now, our approach to studying the gospel of John will be a little different than our normal chronological, begin in chapter one, go all the way through the book, verse by verse method. We are going to study this book in three sections of seven. We begin with looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus made. Then move on to the seven signs or miracles that are in the book. And then we conclude by looking at seven stories of life-changing encounters that Jesus had with people. Now, the book of John is designed for a very specific purpose, to bring us into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. In fact, John put a purpose statement in his gospel. You find it in John chapter 20, verse 31. It says this, but these are written, think in our context, these seven I am statements, these seven stories of miracles, these seven encounters with people. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. There are two words repeated over and over in the Gospel of John. The first is believe, 98 times in the Gospel. The other is the word life, 48 times. Put those two together. You have the purpose statement of the book of John. By believing, you might have life. Now, we've created a companion resource for the study. You can pick these up out in the foyer. They're $7. The, all 21 weeks are, are in there. But here's the deal. If you haven't gotten yours yet, you need one right now. So just raise your hand. I'm not kidding. And our ushers will hand you one. And you can just pay on the way out. It's on the honor system. Thank you. I see that hand. For you Baptists. That's old school. Um, yeah, just raise your hand. We'll hand you one. You might want to take notes in it today. Pay on your way out. Don't forget, we do have cameras in the room. <laughs> and we're not afraid to use them. There might even be some plainclothes officers here watching you. It's also available online. If you like to have things digitally, you can go to Fellowship Rogers forward slash news. Scroll down. The John series is there, and you can pick it up in a digital format. Now, a few notes about the study guide. First, this is designed as an inductive Bible study. When you study a portion of Scripture inductively, you work through three phases. The first is observation, where you answer the question, what do I see? The second is interpretation, where you answer the question, what does it mean? And then the last is application, where you answer the question, what should I do? If you need some help with inductive Bible study, again, go to the John series 
portion of our website, there are three videos put together by Nick Rowland that will help you learn how to do inductive Bible study. Also in the guide, there's room to take notes. There are devotional passages for each day of the week. Let me say something about those. The devotional passages are not attached to the theme of the week. They are guiding you through the gospel of Luke. So we're gonna study John in these three sections. We're gonna read through the gospel of Luke and give us two perspectives on the life and ministry of Christ. And of course, there are small group questions in the guide, which will be perfect for your community group, or maybe you're in a men's group or a women's group, or even something to use at home or work. All right, let's jump back into the study. We are in the first of three of the sections of this series, the I am statements. In an attempt to reveal his identity, Jesus gave seven, seven statements that were designed to bring clarity. Each one began with the sacred phrase, I am. Those were the words spoken by the Lord to Moses at the burning bush to identify himself. And seven times in the gospel of John, Jesus led out with that sacred phrase, I am, and then he attached a metaphor or an illustration to it to reveal himself. Last week, we looked at the first statement. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In weeks to come, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. On Easter, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, I am the true vine. Today, we'll look at the second statement. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So you can find that in John chapter 8, verse 12. So turn in your Bibles to there or just open up your guide. The passage is right there. Let me read it to you. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John 8, 12, Jesus made a bold statement. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the source of divine revelation. I am the word made flesh. I am the one who, who enables spiritual vision. I am the one who opens the eyes of the human heart so that it can see things divine. Without me, you walk in darkness. In me, you will find life. Now, in this statement, Jesus is tapping into both a familiar yet powerful illustration, light versus darkness. This is a common and familiar illustration in our culture. We speak of the forces of light and darkness, meaning the forces of good and evil. The contrast is also frequently used in the scriptures. Light representing truth and righteousness and, and life and darkness representing sin and evil and death. In fact, the whole biblical narrative opens up with this very illustration of light versus darkness. You don't have to turn there, but let me remind you. Genesis chapter 1, first words of the Bible. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the, the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. The first spoken words, the first words of revelation, the first recorded words of God in the Bible, let there be light. So into the dark and cold and formless and empty creation, the Lord brought light. And then he made a declaration about light. It is good. Now, as you travel through the biblical story, moving on from Genesis chapter 1, this contrast of light and darkness will come up again and again. The Israelites would find themselves wandering in the darkness of the wilderness as they fled from Pharaoh in Egypt. Exodus 13 describes them. Wandering in the darkness of the desert, two million strong, headed towards the Red Sea, and the Lord guided them. Look at verse 21. It says the Lord guided them by day in a manifestation of his presence called the pillar of cloud, but by night, where they wandered in the wilderness with no flashlight app on their phone, with no headlamp. With no GPS step-by-step direction, the Lord appeared as a manifestation of light, a pillar of fire, and he lit the way to the promised land. The Lord guided them by an expression of his glory, his Shekinah glory. Again, this familiar theme of light into darkness. As we move on in the biblical story, we get to the prophet's. And it was the prophet Isaiah who seized the moment with this illustration in Isaiah chapter 9. Familiar verses that we normally read during Advent. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah was looking hundreds of years into the future and his prophecy spoke about the birth Of Jesus, he reveals that in verse 6, a verse we read at Christmas. For to us, a child is born, a son is given. Jesus was the light that Isaiah was promising. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Isaiah's prophecy points us to Jesus, which takes us in the biblical story to the New Testament. So let's go to the book of John and look how John opens up. It's very familiar. John 1 takes us back to Genesis 1. The same three words open John's narrative. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's speaking about Jesus. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It places Jesus as an active participant in creation. But look at verses four and five. It speaks of light and darkness. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness 
has not overcome it. So into a dark world, into a world shadowed by sin and evil, into a fallen world, God sent light. He sent his son. He sent the Savior, a light that would not be overcome by darkness. Jesus, the eternal living word, the light of all mankind, came into this world through a manger in Bethlehem. So consider the weight and the gravity of the statement that Jesus made in John chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. It is as if Jesus was saying, you know how God has a pattern of sending light into darkness? You know how God said, let there be light at creation? Remember how God guided his people, the Israelites, in the darkness of the wilderness by his light? Do you remember the words of the prophets who promised the coming light? I am that light. When Jesus said these words, there would have been goosebumps pop up on the the arms and, and shivers go up and down the neck of the Hebrew people who heard him say that. But there's more. Jesus didn't just say he was the light. He said, if you believe in me, if you follow me, if you give yourself wholly to me, then I will help you overcome the darkness. You'll never walk in darkness. And you will find life, true life. Now, the meaning of Jesus' statement in John chapter 8, verse 12, has multiple layers to it. And I think the setting in which Jesus made the statement really brings some deeper understanding to his claim. John chapters 7 and 8 place Jesus in attendance of a religious feast of the Hebrew people called the Feast of the Tabernacles, or in Hebrew, the Feast of Sukkot. It was one of the prescribed religious holidays that the Hebrew people attended annually. And at this particular setting of that feast in the day of Christ, not only were people observing the practices of the Feast of the Tabernacles, but they were discussing the identity of this young upstart rabbi named Jesus. Who he truly was, was a trending topic. John chapter 7 Verses 11 and 12 speaks of these debates. It says, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. As Jesus attended the festival, they were murmuring amongst themselves about who he was. The Feast of Tabernacles was held annually to remember how the Lord provided for and guided the Israelites through the wilderness as they fled from the Egyptians and traveled toward the promised land. That word tabernacle in Hebrew, Sukkot, it means booth or tent. Sometimes it's called the Feast of Booth. And it is a a temporary dwelling. The idea was the Feast of the Tabernacles shot the Israelites in memory back to where their ancestors had no home. When they were wandering, when they were living in these booths, these 
tents, these temporary dwellings. And the identity of Jesus was a topic of discussion. The people were divided whether he was a true source of truth, whether he had authority. They were divided over where he even came from. Some believed in him, some rejected him, especially the religious establishment. Now, there were three practices that were happening at this Feast of the Tabernacles. The first was the Hebrew people actually lived in those booths, those tabernacles during the week. It was a week-long camp out where they reminded themselves of what it was like to be homeless in the wilderness. The second practice was the pouring of the water offering where they would take water from the pool of Siloam up to the temple and pour it out as if to say, the Lord has poured out his salvation upon us. But it's the last practice that I think is noteworthy for today. It was the illumination of the temple. In the temple courts, the court of women, the court of the treasury, they would erect these 75 feet tall candelabras. Imagine a large menorah. And at the, the top of each stick of the candelabra, there would be these cauldrons or these bowls that they would fill with oil and they would light them at night. Think of like the Olympic torch, but multiple bowls at the top of these multiple candelabras with the temple sitting on Mount Zion above the city and it would light up the whole city. It was a phenomenon. And what they were remembering is how the Lord guided them by his light. While they were in the wilderness, they were saved from the Egyptians. They lived in these temporary dwellings and the light of the Lord guided them at night. So the backdrop for this statement, I am the light of the world. Jesus is standing in that very portion of the temple, the, the, the court of the treasury, the court of the women. These candelabras, 75 feet high, have been erected. They are behind him and he says, you know how the Lord guided the Hebrew people in the wilderness by his light? I am just like that. Follow me and you'll find the promised land. And he made this statement even in the very midst of them having a debate about who he truly was. Now, the rest of John chapter 8 is an ongoing debate between Jesus and the religious leaders about his identity. I want to encourage you to go back this week and read all of chapter 7 and chapter 8 and see these people, some who believed, some who rejected him. We've included a portion of it in your guide. So Jesus made a bold claim. He claimed to be the light of the world, the light to guide us to life, to true life, to abundant life, to even eternal life. Jesus says, I am the path, I am the light that enables people who are walking in darkness, who are lost, who are unbelieving, who are sinful. People like you, people like me. He says, I am the light to help you see and believe. He is the light that enables us to say, I once was lost, but now am found. I once was blind, but now I what? I see. You could say it simply this way, that Jesus is the light that leads to life. So if you want to enter God's rest, if you want to find his 
peace. If you want life to the full, then it's a simple prescription. Follow the light. And let me stop right here. Maybe you really need to hear this this morning. That Jesus is the light that leads to life because you've been walking in darkness. Maybe you've been walking in the darkness of sin or the darkness of unbelief. Maybe fear or doubt or hurt has overshadowed your faith. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're experiencing what St. John of the Cross described as a dark night of the soul. Your prayers seem to hit the ceiling. God's word seems to be irrelevant to you. And your once vibrant faith has grown stale. For whatever reason, the light and the truth of the Lord has been eclipsed by the struggles of this life. And you need to hear this morning that Jesus is the light that leads us to life, to eternal life, to sustaining life, to purposeful life. His words, his ways, his cross, his church are the lamps that help us to take the next step into an abiding and fruitful relationship with him. Think with me about what light does. Light gives life. Just as light is essential for life to survive and flourish here on this earth, our spiritual life is dependent on Jesus. He is the source. And light exposes just as light uncovers things hidden or concealed, the light of Jesus exposes the dark things of this world and the dark things in our hearts. And light illumines, it enables us to see. And Jesus is the light that guides us along the way. Let's dive into each of those and think about them more deeply. First, Jesus is the light that gives life John 1, 4 says, in him was life. And that life is the light of all mankind. Hear me, in Jesus and only in Jesus will we find true life. Lasting peace, contentment, satisfaction will not be found outside the Savior. In him is life. Now, sure, you can find a temporary fix, a little joy from a vacation, a little satisfaction from accomplishment, a moment of distraction from your basketball team making the Elite Eight, only to have it snatched from your heart with a crushing blow. You can even find momentary contentment from a new gadget or toy or possession. You can numb your pain with a pill. You can seek confidence from your net worth. You can place your identity in how you look in the mirror at the gym. But you will never satisfy the deep hunger 
of your soul with the things of this world. Materialism, sensuality, achievement, accumulation, and consumption will only lead you empty. They are more like matches than they are like lamps. They flare up quickly and their satisfaction dies out. In Jesus, you will find peace that lasts, joy that supersedes circumstance, contentment that satisfies your soul for the long haul. In Jesus, you'll find answers for the questions that keep you up at night, like, why am I here? Which speaks to purpose. Where do I go when I die? Which speaks to peace. Or what is real and true? Which speaks to direction character. In him is life, and only in him is life. The light gives life. And it also exposes, Jesus is the light that exposes things hidden by darkness. John 3 verses 20 and 21 say this, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Sin and evil flourish in the shadows. The unholy things of this world prefer to remain hidden. My grandmother always said that nothing good happens after midnight, which is absolutely true in Johnson County, Arkansas. Trust me. You know, a plant needs sunlight to grow and flourish and bear fruit. Sin is the exact opposite. It thrives in the darkness. It lurks in the shadows and it hates the light. Why? Because light exposes things concealed. It brings things out into the open so for those living in sin, for those embracing immorality, the light is a threat. They avoid the light because it uncovers, because it reveals. In the light of Jesus, sin has no place to hide. Those who live by his truth walk in his light. His word brings right and wrong into clarity. His wisdom tells us how to live. His light shines through accountability with others, through worship and prayer and devotion. So let me ask you this. Have you carved out any shadowy corners in your life where you indulge in sin? Is there an area of your life where you have ceased to allow God's progressive work of sanctification to continue? Is there an area where you've shut out his influence? You've resisted the conviction of his word and his spirit. Can you think of an area of darkness in your life? Maybe it's time to open the curtains. Maybe it's time to turn on the light and expose that area to God's will, to his word, even to his people. Perhaps it's time to ask God to forgive through your repentance, to empower you to maturity.
Light gives life. Light exposes. Light also illumines. Hear this familiar text from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. You know, light is what makes vision possible. Light stimulates our sight. And the light of Jesus guides our way in life. He lights up the path one step at a time. His word, his presence enable us to see. To see the world the way that he sees it. In each step, in each decision, in each relationship, in each opportunity, in each temptation, he's the light that guides our path. When the Israelites were wandering in the darkness of the desert, they did not have instructions or a map or step-by-step navigation. They were simply told, follow his presence, cloud by day, but follow the light at night. He is the light that enables us to find the right way. You know, maybe you're here today and you would characterize your whole life as dark. Things are just fuzzy right now. And as you look out into your future, whether that's the near future, like tomorrow, or six months or a year down the road, it's characterized by darkness. And I would just encourage you to expose your whole life to the light of Jesus, his word, his will, his people, his church, and ask him to shine like never before. C.S. Lewis said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Jesus is the light that leads to life. He's the revelation of God that overcomes the darkness of disbelief. He's the holiness of God that overcomes the darkness of sin. He's the truth of God that leads to true life. I want to close by going back to John 8, 12. The first line, I am the light of the world, is a certainty and a fact. It affirms the identity of Jesus. And he is the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. In the character of God, we talk about the immutability of God. He won't change. Jesus is the light. He was the light in Genesis 1. He was the light in John 1. And he's the light today. Look at the second line. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's conditional. And it could be experienced differently or not at all by everyone in the room. You see, walking in the light is a fruit of our response to Jesus. Walking in the light, experiencing holistically the life that Jesus has to offer flows from being his follower, from submitting our life to his. You could call that being a disciple of Jesus. It is obedience to his word, abandonment of our own agenda, allegiance to his kingdom. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone, if whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. You see, there's an invitation in this second line for you and for me. So I guess the question is, 
Have you wholeheartedly given your life to Christ? Have you believed on him for eternal life, turning from your sin, believing on his person and his work? If not, why not today? You may have been coming around for a few months or a few years, yet you've never trusted in Christ to be your savior. Why not today? But there's also an invitation for every single one of us, whether you've known Christ for a month, a year, a decade, or 50 years, to follow him, to submit our will to him daily and obey him. Like the Israelites followed the pillar of fire, we are to follow his light every moment of every day. So I invite everyone to bow a knee to Jesus this morning. Let's do that in prayer. Would you pray with me? If you don't know Christ, why not confess your belief in him? Repent from your sin. You can do that in prayer in your heart. If you know him, why not bow a knee to him once again? Affirm your commitment to be his disciple, his follower, his servant. And say, Lord, I'm still all in. All I have is you. Spend some time in prayer with him. in your 
There's no darkness in your way, so have your way. We pray, Lord, have your God, may that be our prayer this morning. Lord, have your way. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, acknowledging that you are the bread of life. And you call us to come and ask for our daily bread. Daily, we should walk in the light as you are in the light. Teach us to walk by your spirit and to trust in your ways. We thank you for your word taught this morning. May we carry it with us as we go out. May these songs that we've sung be on our lips. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we have the Thompsons in the prayer room. If you'd like prayer this morning, they'd love to pray with you, over you. Reminder that next week, service times are 9 and 10.30. Go in peace. <laughs>